Okay, we're in Lesson 12 today. We're working our way through the book of Revelation. Now, let me bring you up to speed with where we're at. Remember now, the key verse to understanding what's going on here is this. The key verse is Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, where John is told to write the things which are, which we've seen as chapter 1, his vision of Jesus, the risen Christ, and the things which uh, the things you've seen, which was chapter 1, the things which are, which is chapters 2 and 3, which was the letters to the seven churches. And then the final section, which is, the lo- which is most of the book, is chapters 4 through 22, which the things that will take place, which are the future things. And so then we get into chapter 4, and John is taken in the Spirit into the very throne room of God, and he sees a vision of God on the throne and everyone worshiping him continually. All right? Now we come to chapter 5. And so let's take a look there. We're going to look and see. We're, again, we're in the throne room of God. And here's what John sees. Look at verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Okay, first thing I want you to see here is, first of all, the possessor. Who's possessing the scroll? God the Father possesses the scroll. So I want you to picture the scene, if you can in your mind. He's trying to present it to us in ways that we understand. He sees a mighty throne, and again, remember from chapter 4, the radiance coming off of this throne is, is spectacular. He sees the 24 elders, he sees... He sees the seraphim who are down there crying, Holy, holy, holy. And as he looks at the one on the throne, verse 1 of chapter 5 says that in his right hand he has a scroll. Now, understand what a scroll is. It's, you know, it's basically you know, wrapping up. It's, it's something like this. That's how, what they had back then. We would call it a book. But there's, and it's got seven seals on it. And God the Father is the one who has this scroll in his hand. Now, let's talk about the scroll for a moment. The scroll contains the record of events that will take place in the future. And we know this as we go through the book of Revelation. We'll know that what is in this scroll is a record or the beginnings of the events of what will take place in the future. So there he is. He's holding the scroll of what will take place in the future. Now look at verses 2 through 5. There's a question that's going to be asked in heaven. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Okay, so let's look at the question here. First of all, verse 2 tells us, An angel questions if one is worthy 
to open the scroll. So there you see it. God the Father is holding the scroll with seven seals. He's on the throne. It contains what's going to happen in the future. And an angel, a strong and mighty angel, yells out, Who's worthy? Who's worthy to open the scroll? Who's worthy to... You have to understand, opening the scroll is the setting forth in motion of what's in the scroll. So who's worthy to do it? That's what we see there. So then what happens is, is that no one, verse 3 tells us, no one is found who is worthy to open the scroll. So here they are. The question is raised, who's worthy? And John is waiting. It's like, okay, I'm waiting to hear who this is. Who's going to open a scroll? And no one's found. There's silence. Now, think about it. Remember, before he goes in there, there's, there's noise from the worship that's taking place of God the Father. But with this question, there's silence now because no one is found. So I want you to notice John's reaction. We're going to spend a little bit of time here thinking about this for a moment. John, verse 4, John wept because no one, there was no one to open the scroll. John wept because there was no one to open the scroll. So here's John. He sees God the Father in his right hand of scroll, seven seals. He knows it contains the events of what's going to take place in the future. Questions asked, who's going to open it? No one responds. So John... He reacts by weeping, crying, because nobody's going to open this scroll. Now, let's stop for a moment. Let's think about it. Why do you think John's crying? Anybody? Because, I, because if we know, okay, we know now, because we've read through the book, it contains the events that are going to take place in the future, and some of them are not very pretty. So you're thinking, man, I know what's in there. I don't know that I'd be crying. Why is John crying? Why do you think John's crying? Anybody? We've got coffee in the back if you need to loosen that tongue. Okay? What, what's going on? Why is John crying? Well, not just the tribulation, but yeah, all of these events that will set face, because it's more than just the coming of Christ that's mentioned there, the millennium and so forth, the, the eternal state. So, yeah, yeah, in a sense, in order for that, somebody's got to set this all in motion. So John's weeping because no one's there to set it in motion. I mean, but I want you to think about it. Why is he crying? I mean, you say, I have no clue. One person. Two honest people. Three. Okay. All right, for the rest of you who say, yeah, I think I know, what is it then? Yeah, he feels for mankind. Do you hear what Steve said? He feels. And let me just help you to understand what's going on here. Remember where John's at. He, okay, let's remember who he is. First of all, he's an apostle. He's a disciple of Jesus. He's the one, as mentioned in John, his own gospel, the one whom Jesus loved. At this time, he's the only apostle alive. The rest have been martyred. The rest are gone. And he would probably know that most of them are gone. He's on an island. He's been placed in exile. Now think about this. He was put in oil, boiled, 
God miraculously spared him. He's on an island that's a barren island in exile when he has this vision. His anticipation is of who to come back, folks? Jesus to come back. So he's taken in the Spirit into the very throne room of God, sees this vision, sees this scroll, knows that this scroll and the one who opens the scroll is the one who's going to let loose the things that will take place in the future for Jesus to come back. He's upset. Because he wants Christ to come back. He wants the events to take place. And there's no one there who's worthy to do it. So he's upset. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That is totally foreign to you and I here. You say, now why? Because we're too comfortable with here. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, if you think about it, how many of you live each day with an anticipating, Jesus, come back? Okay, give me an example. How many of you have heard the word Maranatha or Maranatha? It's not just a music label in Christianity. The word actually means come quickly. And it was the cry of the church for many years, Maranatha, come. That is not what we do in the United States. We're not pleading for Christ to come because we're too comfortable here. Do you understand what I'm saying? We enjoy it here. Because here's the reality, folks. Our, we need to recognize, what does the Bible describe us as? as we're sojourners, we're aliens. We're, we're passing through. We're, we're, we're heading somewhere else. And John is anticipating, listen to me, John is anticipating what's to come. And so he weeps. Now here's what I want you to see now. There's an, one of the elders, one of the 24 elders responds to him in verse 5. And the elder encourages John that Jesus Christ is worthy to open the scroll. Now, he doesn't use the word Jesus Christ, but he gives a description of Christ, which we see there in verse 5. And he says, what? Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Who's that, folks? Jesus. The Root of David. Another title for Jesus. He's the one who's worthy. So the elder says, he's worthy. John, don't cry. Because Jesus is the one who's worthy to open up this scroll and to set in motion that things are going to take place. Now let's stop for a moment. How many of you get freaked out by the news? Don't need to raise your hand. How many of you get freaked out by the news? You don't need to get freaked out by the news. What we're seeing here, remember we talked about this last week, why would John, as he begins to share with us the prophecy of what's going to happen in the future, start in the throne room of God, is because he wants you to understand who's in control. Folks, the one who's in control isn't Obama or Putin or that crazy nut over in North Korea with the nuke or, or Osama bin Laden. They're not the ones who are in control. The one who is in control is, is Jesus. And he's the one who will set in motion the things for his return. You understand? God the Father will hold out the scroll and say, okay, let's go. I don't think he's going to say it that way, but I mean he's going to hold out the scroll and 
you know I'm saying? Jesus is the one who's worthy to open it. So look with me, verses 6 through 7. Here's the vision that John has of Jesus. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So let's look at what it says here about the lamb. So first, out of the midst of the throne comes the lamb. Out of the midst of the throne. So out of the midst of the throne that God the Father is sitting on comes the Lamb. In fact, this passage is very much Trinitarian. Okay, so it's very much you're going to see God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit here because he sees God the Father on the throne. Out of the throne comes who? The Son. And on the Son is who? The seven spirits of God, which we've already mentioned, is the Holy Spirit. So we see it's very much a trinity, the trinity here and its relationship to each other. And so here's how he describes him. He describes him as slain. So look what it says. John sees a lamb that appears to be slain or sacrificed. Who's that, folks? Jesus. Was he slain or sacrificed? For who? For us. He sees seven horns there. The seven horns represent authority and strength of a ruler. So, for instance, it doesn't mean anything to you and I, but in, in their culture, in that day, and even as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see different stories where a horn is shown to a king to pro- prophesy strength and, and victory and authority. Well, here you see the lamb who's slain, and he has seven horns. Seven in the Bible is a number of perfection. So he's perfect in his what? Strength and authority. This is Jesus. Okay? So he's perfect in his strength and authority. So the seven horns represent strength and authority. Now, he has seven eyes. Seven eyes reflect the unity between the Holy Spirit and the Son because the seven eyes are on him, which are what? Are the seven spirits of God, which are who? The Holy Spirit. So we see the unity between who? God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And then verse 7 tells us that the Lamb is the only one who is worthy to take the scroll. So my friends, listen to this. The only one who's worthy to take the scroll to set things in motion about what's going to take place in the future is who? Jesus. Jesus is the one who's in control. He's the one who has the authority, perfect authority and strength, to open the seven-sealed scroll. Period. Jesus is going to be the one who sets things in motion. So then we get to verses 8 through 14, and the rest of the chapter focuses on the worship of the Lamb. So this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. So look with me at verses 8 through 14. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, 
and out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that is that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Wow, what a scene. This is the worship that is being given to Jesus. Now, let me just stop for a minute. Let's, let me ask you to think about this. This is, this is actually pretty convicting to me. How's your worship? How's, how's your worship when you think about that He died for you to forgive you? How's your worship? And I'm not just talking about how you're singing it. I'm talking about your heart attitude towards Jesus. How's your heart worship towards Jesus? Aren't we lacking? Boy, we're lacking, aren't we? Do you know what I'm saying? So let's, let's look here. Let's look at the worship of the Lamb. First of all, when the Lamb takes the scrolls, He is worshipped by the elders and creatures. So when He takes the scroll out of God the Father's hand, immediately the creatures and the um, elders... Worship Him. Now, I think there's something interesting here. Look with me at verse 8, because you're going to see this again later on. It says that the elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl filled of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Later on, we're going to see that those very censers or, uh, or bowls of, of incense are going to be poured out onto an altar and they're going to be a sweet flavor in the nostrils of God because they're the prayers of the saints. God delights in our prayers, folks. You understand what I'm saying? You realize that. Some of us, we don't want to pray because, you know, I did something bad. He doesn't want to talk. He delights in hearing from us. He wants to hear from us. And in particular, I think it's very important we understand the prayers that are being offered up, what do you think the prayers are about? A new car? A parking place? Can't find a parking place downtown Clearfield? God help me find a parking place. Do you think that's what the prayers are? What do you think they are? They're worship, but more so. Remember why John was weeping? For Jesus to come back. They're prayers for His return. Again, we have no comprehension. That really says a lot about us, doesn't it? We're too comfortable, aren't we? We're too comfortable. Okay, let's go on. The worship's going on. The song of worship. 
He is worshipped with a song praising his redemptive work. So when you look at verses 9 through 10, the song they're singing, you know, you're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. And out of the every tribe and tongue and nation have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on earth. That's the song that the elders are singing. That's why many people believe that the elders are actually saints. Those who believe to have gone on. Because when you look at that, this is not the song that an angel would sing. This is a song of someone who's been redeemed, who's giving worthy, who's giving praise to, to Christ here. And so he's worshipped with a song praising his redemptive work. And so you notice in verse 11 then, the Lamb is worshipped by the entire angelic host. So here you have the elders worshipping and they're singing a song concerning his redemption. And then when we get to verse 11, the Lamb is worshipped by the entire angelic host. Now how big is this host, folks? Look at it, what it says there in verse 11. How big is it? A couple hundred? How big is it? It's innumerable. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. I mean, he's, he's, just, you know, he's just saying it's beyond his comprehension how many are there worshiping the Lamb. So then, verse 13, he says that all creation joined joins in to bring glory to the Lamb. So all of creation joins in to bring glory to the Lamb. And verse 13 also tells us that creation proclaims honor, praise on God the Father and the Lamb. So God has given all the word, he's, he's given all the praise and glory and honor that he deserves. And then verse 14 this is where we're going to end. Creation proclaims honor, praise on God the Father and the Lamb. All right, here's the last point. We won't. The creatures, okay, because these are the seraphim who are around the throne. We know that there's a seraphim because it parallels with the passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel. The creatures give one final praise with, Amen. Remember what I told you amen means? Amen means, so be it. So be it. So they're praising with one final praise of the Lamb. Okay, we've got a couple minutes, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about this for a moment. Two issues are going on with us today here in North America. Number one... We're either too comfortable to think about Jesus coming back, we've talked about a little bit about that already, or number two, we're fearful. We're afraid. We're panicked. So it's either indifference because we're comfortable, or we're afraid. Now let's remind ourselves quickly why this book was given. This book was given as an encouragement to believers to read it, to what? Hang on, persevere, endure, overcome. Those are the words that you're going to see throughout this book. We've already seen them already. To him who overcomes, I will give this, he says. Perseverance of believers is what the basis of this book is. Is that as you face the junk that this world is going to throw at you, that this life is going to throw at you, you're going to keep 
pressing on, not be afraid of what's to come, because when you look at chapter 5 and 4, who's in control, folks? God the Father and Jesus. Don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. He's in control. Don't we need to grasp that reality? We live in so much fear. Especially, and folks, you read the stuff, the trib, you know, the Left Behind series and stuff, and you get freaked out reading those books. Put them down. Read your Bible. Don't get freaked out. He's in control. That's what we need to grasp here. That's why chapter 4 and 5 is so important. He's in control. So here's what's going to happen. Next week, as we get into chapter 6, he's going to open the scroll. And we're going to see what happens. Okay? All right, let's close our time of prayer and we'll get ready for the morning worship service.